So we want to uh, continue today our little study of, uh, of, uh, of the book of Acts. And we are uh, at the end of chapter 3, the end of chapter 3 of, uh, of the book of Acts. And of course, you know that we've been looking at this and we understand that what's happening is the beginning of Israel's restoration which leads to the beginning of the restoration of the nations. But at the beginning, this is uh, all about uh, the restoration of Israel. And when we're uh, uh, seeing in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, every speech that's given is given to Israel. Uh, They're in Jerusalem. Uh, the, uh, The Ruach is poured out on Shavuot, on the Jewish holiday of Shavuot uh, called Pentecost, uh, and over and over again, uh, when, when Peter is giving explanations of what's taking place, it's because this is what the prophet said, this is what Joel said, uh, this is what we read in the Psalms, this is what David said, uh, and, uh, and it's so important, we take it for granted, you know, but, but put yourself in those people's shoes, and it's like, what is happening? What's going on? You know, this is like all uh, completely uh, new and different, so to speak. Uh, And it was so important for them to understand that this is the promise that God had made to us. This is the promise uh, that that God had had made to us in, in, in times past. We are actually seeing it beginning to unfold. This is not some kind of of a strange. Uh, miracle workers uh, from the East, you know, or any kind of charlatans or, and it's not a political power play, which is also what they thought was taking place. None of it. This is what had been promised uh, from ages uh, past. And then once uh, the Ruach is poured out and Peter explains what's going on, why are uh, these Galileans speaking, but people are hearing them all in their these Jewish people that had come from all over the place, hearing them in their own uh, uh, dialects, then uh, we saw how this new, and, and we call it the spirit community. We could new covenant community, spirit community, but kind of the Ruach is the, uh, is the centerpiece here of, of, the, of what's taking place. So we might say, we could say Yeshua community, because Yeshua is the focus of, uh, of everything that Peter is saying. But this new community, we, re, we uh, talked um, over the course of uh, one or two weeks over uh, what happened after, what happened after Peter spoke in chapter two. We saw this, this new kind of unity and, and care for one another, and we, we talked all about that. And then the next thing you know, of course, uh, Peter and John uh, uh, never uh, thought of themselves as being uh, divorced from the Jewish world, here they're going to the temple at the at the right time. About three, it's actually about three o'clock in the afternoon, time for uh, prayer and the afternoon offerings, uh, even. Uh, and they see this man who uh, had been uh, laying there uh, his whole life, every every day, every day, every day, uh, looking for money, asking for, for for money for alms, as it's called, charity, right? Uh, and uh, Peter and John come up to him, and Peter says, hey, look at me, right? And he says, you know, I, uh, I don't have money, but I got something better than money, 
right? Uh, uh, and so uh, he's healed in the name of Yeshua, right? Then they said, then they're thinking, wow, who are these guys? And, and Peter then begins to speak and gives an explanation. He says, it's not about me. It's not about me. You remember uh, Yeshua the Nazarene? Remember him? The one who you made a big deal over, who you sent to Pilate, the one who was crucified, the one that died? He is still alive. He is alive, and it's by his name and in his power that this lame man is healed. Because he's alive. We're just messengers, but he is alive, right? Uh, and then he goes on to talk about Yeshua the whole time talking about Yeshua, who he is, and that, and that he was crucified, and, but he's risen from the dead, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is alive, and he is active in this world. He has poured out the Ruach, and he healed uh, this uh, lame man. Okay? Uh, and, and so there's a, it's interesting because then he goes on to explain a couple of other things that perhaps they might have been wondering. If he healed this lame man, why doesn't he heal every single lame man? If this is the Olam Haba, if this is like the Ruach has been, why doesn't he heal every single one, right? And uh, Peter gives uh, the answer to the question. Uh, he tells them that they need to repent so that they can experience seasons of refreshment. Seasons of refreshment, right? Uh, because Yeshua is at the right hand of the Father until the day of restoration of all things, right? But in the meantime, you need to repent and you need to believe. Uh, and so he answers the question. It's very interesting. Here in chapter 3, uh, he answers the question. I said it last time that he answers the question of the people ask today. Well, why isn't there peace in the world? Right? Why isn't every single person uh, healed? Why, does, why is it the way it is? Uh, it is uh, because God uh, is at this time calling us to repent uh, and to receive him, right? Because, see, this goes back to the first chapter. This is a little recap, right? So the first chapter, remember the first chapter? What do the apostles say to Yeshua before he ascends, Right? Because he tells him to wait in Jerusalem, right? He says, are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to restore the kingdom now to Israel? And he says, nobody knows except the Father in heaven. But right now, you're going to receive power when the Ruach is poured out, when the Spirit of God is poured out. And you're going to be empowered to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. Okay? And, uh, and so they ask that question, are you going to restore it now? Because that's what's supposed to happen. They're asking the right question. Is that this is what's supposed to happen? And Yeshua says, no, wait, wait. First, you're going to be empowered to share this message, right? And so Peter, uh, basically we could say, uh, reiterates, uh, reiterates that very thing. He says uh, here in verse 19, Repent therefore in return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord uh, and that he may send Yeshua the Messiah appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. 
from ancient times. Peter is answering that question right there. That repent so, so that periods of refreshing can come because Yeshua is at the right hand of the Father until the appointed time when he comes and there'll be the restoration of all things. Okay? Uh, and so what's very interesting about that is that we learn that if Peter is saying that right after the resurrection, I mean, right after uh, all this takes place, this was not some kind of, uh, the, the idea of the second coming of Yeshua did not get developed over hundreds of years of like, quote unquote, church history uh, to come up with a, a reason why the world is still kind of messed up, uh, but the Messiah, uh, but, but Yeshua you know, hasn't changed everything yet. What, what, what is, it's not, no, notice Peter gets that right away, immediately. And I will suggest to us that it comes right from the mouth of Yeshua in chapter one, when they ask the question, are you going to restore Israel? Or we could say it another way, are you going to restore all things now? That's the expectation. And what does he say? Wait for the Ruach to come and go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. See? Uh, and, and so what is so wonderful about these speeches is that especially when we're talking about sharing the good news with Israel, with Jewish people, with our friends and neighbors, that here the answers to the questions that people are asking in the 21st century were the questions that were either asked, asked or being anticipated in the first century. And the answers are here. Uh, and all of it is rooted in the Tanakh. All of it is rooted in the, Tanakh, in the Bible. Uh, uh, and so in chapter 2, uh, many quotes from the Psalms, right? In chapter 3, quotes from the Torah, from the Torah. Because now where we are is uh, right after he talks about, about that, that uh, the day will come when Yeshua will return and the period of the restoration of all things will come. Now he's going to say, this is not a new idea. This is not some newfangled thing uh, that uh, came from the Greeks or the Romans or Jewish charlatans, which there were plenty of at that time. The first thing he says is, Moses said, there you go, Moses said, now that's very important. Moses is called Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses our teacher. Moses is indeed the, uh, the quintessential uh, Jewish leader. You know, uh, when, we, when we talk about the Torah, it's the Torah of Moses. Uh, when we talk about uh, the, the beginning of uh, the, the, the Jewish people as a people, it's at Mount Sinai with, uh, with Moses. Uh, and so, uh, very rightly so, uh, uh, Peter quotes a passage in Deuteronomy uh, that Moses says, right? So in verse 22, it says, Moses said, the Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. So he takes, first he quotes the passage from Deuteronomy, and then he takes, basically, he succinctly takes other uh, verses that talk about what happens, even in Deuteronomy 
15. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, I believe it's verse 29, where he's talking about what happens you know, if you don't observe Yom Kippur, what if you don't listen to the voice of prophets. Basically, as we would say in Yiddish, it's farfallen. That means like a lost cause, right? Uh, and, uh, and so uh, uh, this, this prophet is very important. Now let's go back to that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 15, or chapter 18, very famous passage. He's talking here, uh, you know, about false prophets and not listening to, uh, you know, uh, those who are, uh, are calling themselves uh, uh, prophets and so on. He says that, see in verse 14, for the nation, every time you always got to read the previous verse, it's just a fact of life. For the, those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. And so you got to listen to the voice of the prophet. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire any more, lest I die. Remember, God wanted to speak to all the people. That's what this is referring to. God wanted to speak to all the people, but all the people said, We are afraid. Moses, you go. And so then God said, Okay, it is through Moses uh, how you will hear my word. Okay? Uh, and the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded you. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And then he talks about prophets who speak presumptuously and shall die and, and, and so on. Now, this is very important. We don't have time now. I was going to read a passage uh, in, a, uh, in a commentary uh, uh, that, uh, oh, why not? Okay. You keep twisting my arm because you know why I, say, I can hear people's voices saying to me, oh, why didn't you just read it? Okay, I will. But then there's other will say, hey, great, you, you ended on time. Okay, those are other voices. Okay. So uh, here in chapters 17 and 18, Okay, of uh, Deuteronomy. The actual, the name of that Torah portion is called Shoftim. Shoftim, which means judges. And it's about authorities. Different, that, those passages, chapter 17 and 18, in Deuteronomy are about authorities. Judges, kings, uh, prophets, and, and, and so on. So here, the, uh, now this is from the Jewish Publication Society, uh, commentary on Deuteronomy uh, by, his last name is Tigay. T-I-G-A-Y, okay? The fourth type of authority is the prophet. Prophets were among the leaders of society, along with priests, elders, and in monarchic times, kings and royal officials. Some, in fact, were influential members of the royal court. To Deuteronomy, the prophet is the most important and authoritative leader. In contrast to the king, whose power it limits, Deuteronomy strengthens the authority of the prophet. 
It affirms that he is the successor of Moses, the highest authority during the desert period and beyond. His word is God's word, and whoever disobeys it is threatened with divine punishment. Prophecy is the only office whose legal basis Moses describes by quoting the words of God rather than using his own words. The law focuses on the authority of prophets as the only legitimate channel of communication with God. The nations that Israel is replacing heed diviners and sorcerers. That is, they conduct their affairs, both private and public, in accordance with the instructions of such functionaries. Israel, in contrast, is to conduct its affairs according to the instructions of prophets. The contrast and the test mentioned in verses 21 and 22 indicate that the law focuses on the prophet's role as oracle, foreteller, healer, and the like giving instructions about such matters as selecting a king, going to war, building a temple, and curing illness. It does not expect future prophets to continue Moses' role as lawgiver. The reason Israel is to heed prophets is that they are God's messengers and spokesmen. Hence, following them is an expression of loyalty to God, whereas following diviners and sorcerers is an attempt to circumvent him. Okay, so it just goes to show you the profound meaning of these words that Moses uh, is, uh, is saying. And so now when uh, Peter brings this out, it's very interesting because we learned last time, remember we were in Isaiah last time because he calls him the servant Yeshua, the servant Yeshua, right? And we looked at Isaiah chapter 42 and, and chapter, Isaiah chapter 53 and, and, and so on. Uh, he's the servant now here, and, and, and his speech from like, we just have to call it yesterday, because in the text it was in chapter 2, right? So that was like he gave a speech yesterday, right? That speech he was focusing on Yeshua as king, Yeshua as king, okay? And so now here, on the next day, after the lame man is healed, he's focused on Messiah as servant, and he's focused on Messiah as prophet, all right? Okay. So, this issue of the prophet, how was the prophet, this prophet is going to come after Moses? How is this understood? Well, there's, in the Jewish world, Christian world, in the world, out in the street, there are different understandings of who this is talking about, the kind of person that this is talking about, okay? Some would say uh, it is uh, a particular person, uh, you know, uh, in future history. That is a very mi minority view uh, that is speaking about only, only like Yeshua, okay? It, it's a possibility, but I think the context, uh, when you look at the context of Deuteronomy, that, that's probably not the entire meaning of, of it, okay? Uh, another view is that it is speaking about the authority of all the prophets to come, the prophets to come. Uh, and probably uh, that is correct, but culminating in the prophet. And we know that there was this understanding of the prophet. After all, there were a lot of prophets, and they played a very profound role in the history of Israel. And when they were obeyed, it was good. And when they were disobeyed, it was very bad, right? And, uh, and that's the biblical history of, of Israel from the time of Joshua on. Uh, so it's quite clear that Moses was referring, he was telling them, you've got to listen to the prophets. The kings need to listen to the prophets, right? And something that's very interesting uh, is 
that uh, you don't read much about prophets uh, until a particular moment, okay? Uh, you read about judges, right? You certainly read about judges. But you don't read much about prophets until there is a what? A king. Once there is a king, you're reading about prophets all the time. And you're mostly reading about them because the kings were not functioning very well. And the prophets were like a thorn in the side of the king, reminding them, uh, you know, uh, that they did not have all authority because they were king. But they also, like everybody else, needed to heed the word of God. And the prophets were called uh, to... Uh, preach the word of God, to call the people back, and, and so on, right? But by the time you get to the late Second Temple period, which is the New Covenant era, in the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, it's clear that the role, they were looking for the prophet. The prophet had messianic uh, meaning, messianic meaning, like the teacher of righteousness and so on and so forth. But in the Brit Hanashan, the New Covenant is quite clear that the Jews in Jerusalem were looking for the prophet because we read about the prophet. You know, in uh, the Gospel of John in particular, right? Uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, in fact, in chapter 1, we know that, uh, you know, John, John the Baptist, John the Immerser, he was a prophet. Right? But isn't it interesting what he says in John 1, in verse 21? They say to him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And then they say, are you the prophet? And he answered, no, the prophet, the prophet. Then, uh, you know, in chapter 6 of John, in verse... 14. When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is, a, this is of a truth, the prophet who is to come into the world. The prophet. This is a very important concept. This was a, this was a messianic category. The prophet. Okay. Uh, in John 7, in verse uh, 40, some of the multitude, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Okay? So this was a, uh, was a, a, a person whom they were indeed uh, expecting. What Peter does, he gives clarity uh, uh, to this. That the king, who is the servant, is the prophet. Okay? Because there was confusion, uh, especially when you read in the Gospels. Is he the prophet or is he the Messiah? What Peter is saying, all of the above. Okay? Uh, he is the servant. He, he is the servant. He is the son. He is the priest. He is the king. Uh, he, is the, he is the prophet. He is all of this. And it's, it's like, if, we, if I was drawing this on a board, I'd say you have all these Maybe we'll do it this way. You have all these words in the Tanakh and all these roles of, uh, uh, of leaders in Israel and Israel itself, of the Jewish people itself. Son, firstborn, prophet, priest, king, uh, servant. And then there are like lines, right, that go through the text of the Tanakh. 
but they're all getting, they're all getting closer and closer and closer. And bam, they all meet up in Yeshua. They all meet up in Yeshua. And that's what's happening. That's what Peter is teaching. Peter was a fisherman who denied the Lord uh, when he died. And it turns out he is the theologian of theologians, right? And isn't it amazing? People take what Peter said in these speeches and they have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to attend uh, all kinds of schools and get all kinds of degrees to come back to this truth. You know, it really is great. Okay. All right. Uh, and so uh, uh, Peter is saying this is who he is. Now, there's a little bit more we could say about a prophet like Moses, this prophet like Moses. In John chapter 1, going, going back to John chapter 1, Moses is not uh, uh, the most prominent figure in the Brit Hadashah, but where he uh, shows up is almost always in comparison to Yeshua. Okay? Almost always. Not exactly always. The reason I say that is so that when you come up to me afterwards and you say, but what about this passage? I could say, well, I said, not exactly. Okay? There, there you go. Okay. So in John 1, in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Messiah Yeshua. Okay? Now, so there's comparisons here. All right? One thing's for sure it's not a comparison of law versus grace. All right, that you have to like, you have to like put your head in a thing and say, okay, erase that. You, you know what I mean? It's not a comparison of law versus grace. That is a man-made 16th century, 15th century theological construct, okay? I, I, because grace and truth and law are referring all to the same thing. I, they're in apposition. I love that word, right? Because I love to say it's not opposition, right? That they're referring to the same thing. Grace and truth, chesed ve'emet, that we read about in the Torah, no doubt. But our purpose here is Yeshua and Moses. This is not saying anything bad about Moses. Because you have to understand that the, the person who wrote it John, and the hearers all revere Moses. All these people revere Moses. So whenever there is a comparison of Moses to Yeshua, it's, I mean, Moses is like way up here. And so if we're saying that Yeshua is greater than Moses, it's like he's like beyond, beyond. It's not taking Moses down. You know, it's, it's uplifting Yeshua like beyond the greatest. And that's very important to get. Uh, right? And, and so uh, uh, that's what he's saying in, uh, in chapter 17. Moses, the great lawgiver. You know, Moses, our teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our rabbi. Moses, our teacher, Moses, our master, Moses, our leader. He gave us the Torah. But wow, Yeshua puts it inside of us. We are, it's realized in him. This is akin to what we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 30, that the day will come when you'll have a circumcised heart. You know, uh, and how important, of course, uh, that is. So we see here Moses, uh, but then we see one compared to Moses, right? Okay. Uh, then uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there's another comparison. 
uh, of the ministry. It's basic. It's not Moses as a as a human being, uh, uh, although that plays into it, as we'll see here in Second Corinthians, uh, 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 chapter three. Second Corinthians three. You have uh, another comparison, and basically, it's about the letters written on stone versus the letters written on our heart, right? But again, it's sort of like the same idea that uh, you have Moses and then you have, have, uh, have Yeshua. It says in verse 7, But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory. And I just won't take the time to read the rest of it. You can read the rest of it. But it's a comparison of Moses and Yeshua. Not Again, Moses is glorious. The, basically, the text is saying Moses is glorious, but Yeshua is even more so because the glory never fades. You know, the glory never fades. And the reason... Uh, that Yeshua can internalize the Torah in John chapter 1. And the reason that the glory never fades in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter uh, 3 is that it's not just that Yeshua has like more power, but Yeshua is the Son. Yeshua is the Son. Okay? So, oh, that reminds me of Hebrews chapter 1. Let's take a look there real fast. In Hebrews chapter 1, at the very beginning, we read here, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? In the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. Okay, so when he says here, in many portions and in many ways, I mean, over a very long period of time, beginning with Moses, and then the authority from Moses to all of the prophets, okay? Uh, he's spoken in, in many ways. And speaking of that authority, uh, just a little uh, aside, if you ever read, uh, there, there is, in the Talmud, there is a tractate uh, called Pirkei Avot. Pirkei Avot. Okay? It means like sayings of the fathers. It's sort of like a rabbinic uh, proverbs, sort of, sort of, kind of. Right? And the very beginning, it talks about the chain of authority. The chain of authority. And you see, the chain of authority begins with Moses. And, uh, and then it talks about, you know, the prophets and, and then, uh, you know, the elders and a number of rabbis. And that's how this, the chain of authority works to this day. That's why you read in rabbinic literature, Rabbi so-and-so spoke in the name of Rabbi so-and-so in the name of Rabbi so-and-so. And the idea is like it's in this chain going back to, to Moses. And that's why when Yeshua says... But I say unto you've heard that it has been said, but I say unto you, that is him saying, I am speaking with the very authority of God. I'm speaking with the authority. I'm not speaking in the, in the name of anybody else, but in the name of God. And that's why when uh, like Peter heals, he says, in the name of Yeshua, that authority is the authority that goes all the way back Beyond Moses, because the authority of Yeshua is greater than the authority of Moses. And that's why when you read passages like, they never heard anyone speak with such authority. They never heard anyone speak this way before. Because he's speaking with the very authority of God that supersedes the authority of Moses. 
So we read here, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in a son, in son. You know, you have his, but it's in italics, right? So uh, uh, it's like saying he spoke to us via sonship, you could say. He, sp- he spoke to us in son, not in prophet, but in son. Not just, it's not saying exactly that uh, he spoke to us by the prophets, and now he spoke to us by his son, who is uh, greater than the, the prophets. I mean, that's all true, okay? But it's like he's saying, I'm not using the vehicle of prophet here. It is the vehicle of son. And that means, wow, a, a whole different thing altogether, a whole different kind of authority, a whole different kind of intimacy, because the reason that we have human words, father, son, uh, is, is because they, they are, uh, that human language fails us to articulate the identity of, the, uh, of Yeshua in the father, in the, of the relationship of father and son. Human language fails us. So we use father and son because they come, the, the son is identified with the father. And that's why we read like in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. You know, it's, it's unique, it's different. And so Yeshua is identified in the very God of Israel, the incarnation of the God of Israel. And that he goes on to talk about in verse three. <laughs> but we're not going to take the time for that. In verse 3 and 4, the point here is, is that he has spoken to us in Yeshua. Yeshua is the prophet like Moses, the prophet beyond Moses, and he is indeed the son. Okay? So this is very profound what Peter uh, is saying in Acts uh, uh, chapter uh, 3. This is it. And, and all of this is rooted uh, in, the, uh, in the Torah. Okay, then he goes on to say, very quickly here, uh, he goes on to say, not only Moses, but Samuel uh, and the rest of the prophets. But Samuel and the rest of, of the prophets. Okay, and so I'm just going to tell you. Yep, okay, I'm just going to tell you. So in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, That is where God promises David a dynasty that is going to last forever through his son Solomon. Okay? 2 Samuel chapter 12. He is the king. He's the prophet. He's the king. Okay? There's other things. Uh, On another day, uh, I could even do a a little mini-series on what Samuel says about the Messiah. Because at the very end of 2 Samuel, there's a dramatic moment there where David is talking about the, his legacy and referring to the Messiah. But we're not going to turn there. But, ba- but basically, Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, gives this, uh, the promise of David's dynasty lasting forever. And then you have in the, uh, in the prophets, right? Uh, and there are many prophecies. Uh, but I thought, you know, one in particular is in Amos... Uh, at chapter 9 in verse 11, in that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it 
uh, as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. And that is in uh, Amos, and it's quoted by James in Acts chapter 15 about the inclusion of Gentiles. It's really very interesting. So the prophets all pointing to Messiah. The point that Peter is making is this is rooted in your world, in our world, in the Jewish world. Okay, He's saying this is not something foreign. And as I've said before, us living 21 centuries later, I think sometimes in our heads as Jewish believers, we think, well, yes, I believe in Yeshua and he's Jewish and I believe in him in spite of the fact that, you know, that, that, that I uh, am Jewish, I believe in Yeshua. And I think that's how sometimes people see us. In spite of the fact that... You, what we like to say is, no, because of it. Because of it. He's the Messiah of Israel. And we need to really... It's ingrained in us that believing in Jesus is like a big ham sandwich. <laughs> believing in Jesus is like this goyish thing. Right? Right? As my mother used to say, when we would be in the supermarket with a little cart, uh, and she would never buy chicken in the, uh, you know, in the, uh, uh, in the supermarket, that's for the Goyim. Okay? We go to the butcher. Okay? Very important. That, uh, like, it's a Gentile thing. That believing in issue is a Gentile. And I think down deep, way, 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 way down. That we deal with that. We deal, it's like an identity crisis that we deal with, especially as, North, as, as Jews who believe in Yeshua outside of Israel. We're always like proving it, right? But, but he is Jew. We are Jewish. And we do this. We're Jewish. So let me just tell you, you're Jewish. If you're Jewish, right? If you're not, you are coming under the headship, under the crown of the king of Israel. And if you're Italian, or if you're German, or if you're Irish, uh, if, you're Can if you're Canadian, is that an ethnic? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, whatever it may be, you are that. And God made you that way. And that's a glorious thing. But what we want to remember is that we've all come under the, the, the crown of the king of Israel. Okay? Uh, and, and so, but right now in Acts, he's focused on telling Jews that he is who, who you've been waiting for and promised. And that is a very important message uh, uh, to us. And so at the very end, he says this. All right? You know what? I'm going to stop. Actually, we're going to do the next two verses. We'll do the last two verses of chapter uh, 3 next time. All right? Okay, let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, I just uh, pray, Lord, that... Uh, we might uh, really get it. Uh, and Lord, thank you, God, that you have preserved over all these years of all kinds of, whether it be persecution or even like uh, a misrepresentation of uh, Yeshua in so many ways, uh, or, or whether it, it be the just uh, the, the wandering around of so many nations, you have preserved your word. You have preserved Yeshua's testimony among people in this world. Uh, and you have preserved Israel. And here we are giving this kind of message, uh, Lord, in our day. May it motivate us 
whether we're Jewish or Gentile, if we're part of a Messianic Jewish community, I pray, Lord, that we would understand that we either have this calling or we've kind of associated ourselves with this calling uh, of reaching our people with the, uh, with the Messiah, uh, Lord, for the benefit of the whole world. And uh, Lord, thank you, God, for this. And thank you, Lord, for Moses and for uh, the word that you gave to him, to our people, which is the Torah, which is the moral and ethical way of life of all of us, uh, Lord. And uh, uh, thank you, God, for every single one, God, who's come under your kingship. And we thank you and we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.